home away from home. I love what you guys do. You're so committed to the gospel, to, the, to, to your city, and to the globe. And I actually wanted to um, just, um, just say thank you for what you're attempting to do. Because the work that you do every single day is actually super important to the kingdom of God, both locally and globally. And sometimes we get into the mundane, right? Like we're just here at church again. But let me just say this. I travel the world now, domestically and internationally, and we need more churches like Austin New Church. Now, Matthew and Trey and Brandon and all the leaders are like, don't puff these guys up. They're going to think they've arrived. I'm not saying that. We have not arrived. Okay, but what you're doing is extremely vital to the kingdom of God. I actually wanted to say thank you for a few things. Um, One, um, I wanted to say thank you for the great leadership that you're producing. Every time I meet someone from this church, it's un- I just wish you would all go to Haiti. Then I have to deal with the other churches that aren't quite on mission because they don't know why they're in Haiti. And when you guys come, you're prepared to go. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to give. Whatever I need to do, I'm willing to do. And I think that is amazing. I love that. I mean, it's so beautiful. I also want to say this. For those of you who do serve Austin Sunday all the time, it's just a part of your yearly rhythm, right? That's like a miracle happening, happening every single time. Because very few churches are willing to stop what they're doing on Sunday to go outside and serve the city. That is an amazing example of what our church can be and should be. And I would encourage you to continue on because you're not only making an impact in Haiti and Zimbabwe and here in Austin, but you're actually setting an example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I hope Austin New Church people can say, follow Austin New Church as we follow Christ. You guys have plenty of distinctives. You work with nonprofits. Did you know that's not normal in the church world? Churches are sometimes scared to work with nonprofits. What if they give their money to the nonprofit? Brandon said you guys can all give your money to help. He doesn't mind at all. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke, but checks, there's a box back there. No. Um, so that's very rare and it's very beautiful. Not only do you work with nonprofits that are Christian, you work with nonprofits that aren't Christian. What a great place for the church to be, working with other people who don't share our same faith, but share our love for humanity. And then we can say, you know what? We're going to fight with you to seek justice. Because the local church has to be running first. It is absolutely vital to the gospel that the local church is out front saying, come with us as we care for the broken locally and globally. There's a lot of distinctives. I mean, for instance, this is one of the few churches I come to where the lead pastor is not the best communicator. His wife is. That is so rare. Okay, and wait, I got to figure out how to work this. Okay. This is, well, it's not working. I got I, I to I hit the on button. Trey was getting prideful? So, okay, great. So this is what we do. We're a tribe dedicated to ending extreme poverty by rescuing orphans, restoring their hope, and renewing their communities. We'll get to that in a second. Now, when we were in Haiti in June, you guys had a great team. And this is exactly what we talked about in Haiti. The gospel, the kingdom, orphans, trafficking, and Tough Mudder. Right? Tough Mudder. Have you guys, how many of you heard about this Tough Mudder thing? Now, now, you guys are unique because you have people on staff that look like that. And they actually want to pay to, like, go kill themselves. Okay, that is very unique. Now, while I'm eating a cheeseburger, I saw this come through Facebook. 
And, and I'm looking at Lamar, and I'm like, okay, that's like Lamar. He usually has a V-neck below his chest, very normal, all right? But then look at Matthew. Like, my, my kids looked at Matthew's picture like, Dad, what is that? Like, who is that? I'm like, hon, that's Pastor Matthew from Austin New Church. He goes to Haiti. They're like, really? Are you serious? I thought, so anyhow, he looked like he just got dropped off in the middle of a war zone. Or he just killed someone and he's hiding from the police. But this is your staff. This is your leaders. And somehow they convinced their wives to join in. Unbelievable. Um, but really, I, I just really want to say thank you because you guys were our first partner. Two and a half years ago, we started help. We've done some great things. We've struggled on many levels. We've made great, great progress. We've had many failures. But we're seeing the kingdom of God advance. God convicted me a few months ago that sometimes type A type leaders, um, we deal with a bunch of stuff. We're always trying to figure out problems, solve them, solve them, help, serve, give. Sometimes we don't take a step back and appreciate what God has already done. And so I want to just take a few moments and step back. And um, say thank you because this is what God has done through your service and through your sacrifice in places like Zimbabwe and Haiti. Understand this. Somehow God placed help in two of the worst economic countries in the world. Zimbabwe is usually first, 2100% um, inflation rate right now. But um, this is Pastor Gaetan. Pastor Gaetan, and those are 30 orphans. You guys sponsor all those kids. When we first met Pastor Gaetan, it was about three months after the earthquake, and this is what they were living in. Now, imagine um, this summer in Austin. I, I just love following Matthew's tweets about summers in Austin. All right? It's like comical. And so like this summer in Austin, I want you to think about this. You and your kids are living outside in a tent for eight months every single day. And you guys helped build this home. Through your garage store for Orphan that you did last year, a portion of those proceeds went to this home. And here's the second picture. And now these 30 kids live in a home and not a tent. And that's what the gospel is when it becomes tangible. A bunch of people from America who've never met these kids saying, you know, I'm going to give up a weekend. I'm going to give up some stuff. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give it away. And we're going to bless some other folks around the world. So thank you. This guy could easily have run Tough Mudder, and he would have won. He's a 65-year-old Haitian man, and um, I met him. If you know Daniel Davis, Daniel Davis uh, and I, we met him um, just digging the side of this mountain inside this compound where the 30 kids are at. And we're like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we want to build a school for these 30 kids because all the schools in Haiti are, are destroyed. We want our kids to go to school. So for six weeks, he would come and work 12 hours a day, for free, he would get one meal, and, he, and he, he, was, he began to tell me the story of how he was never, never able to go to school, and how before he died, he wanted to help other kids go to school. And so for free, he built, he tore down this mountain, and through your child sponsorship money, together we built this school, where our 30 kids now go to school every day, and another 120 kids from the community attend school every single day. So not only are you helping feed the kids and clothe the kids and house the kids, you're helping them go to school. And on top of that, we're actually being able to pay some of the teachers' salaries so we're creating jobs in the process. 
My friend Sylvester, um, he has four siblings. He's 24 years old. He's going to business school in Haiti right now. He's just, he could, he's just an amazing human. Loves God, loves people, desperate to see change in his country. He lives in this community. I'm missing a picture. Where did it go? He lives in this community, um, and his house was destroyed in the earthquake. In his house, 11 people lost their lives in the earthquake. And there's a picture of this young girl, incredibly beautiful, young, eight- or nine-year-old girl, sitting on the corner of his house. And it's where 11 people lost their lives in the earthquake. And right now, we're about 95% done to completing a home for Sylvester and his family to be able to live in this house. Here's the thing. For nine months, they lived in a tent. And when it would rain at night, they'd have to get out of their tent, and they would sleep standing up against the wall of their broken house. And so for almost a year, they learned how to sleep standing up because mud and rain would fill their house. In the meantime, he was working a part-time job, going to school full-time, and taking care of his brothers and sisters. I told Sylvester in June when we were there, like, hey, dude, we're going to build you a house. We don't promise very much because we've we got to be careful. We can't change the entire world, but we can help some. And so he began to cry and said, don't tell me that. I can't, I can't get my hopes up. Because I'm not going to tell my mom. Because my mom, she couldn't handle it if you didn't come through. Because most people don't come through. And so you guys have helped donate money to help build Sylvester a home. And we'll be there next week. And we'll bring those pictures back to you. And outside of this home... Sylvester had a tent, and that's where he would study. And so he would study to be a businessman in this tent every single night. And then he would have to sleep in this home that has mud and rain, and it's horrible. And you guys are providing shelter for his family through your giving. And so thank you for doing that. And maybe take a second and say, thank God. Because when the church acts and gives and serves and sacrifices, lives are changed in the in the process, and that's what the kingdom is all about. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. And um, we just are very, very excited about the partnership we have with Austin New Church. Last thing, which I forgot about, last year you did a garage for orphans, and in our project in Zimbabwe, they didn't have any water for many, many months. It was, it was horrible. I was there for a week, and there would be a couple days where I could not find access to clean water. It was unbelievable. It was the first time in my life where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how to drink water today. It's nowhere available because the, the pipes burst and the government can't afford to pay them and you can't go to the faucet and get water. And so through your garage for orphan money, we built um, uh, a new water well for the community. This has volume. This is um, Elizabeth and she is basically just saying thank you for building this well. All right, just a simple thank you for spending $7,000 and putting in a water well in a community where now every single day hundreds of people, including over 120 orphans that we serve, have access to clean water. 
What you're doing is absolutely beautiful work, and I want to say thank you for that. However, we have a lot more to do. There's a war going on in our, in our world, and my prayer is the local church would lead that. Today I want to talk about a message called A Life Interrupted is a Life Inspired. A Life Interrupted is a Life Inspired. One of the simple realities is this. When you become a Christian, you recognize quickly that Jesus will never leave you alone. He will never allow you to settle for second best. He will never allow you to settle for peace, safety, and security. He's always trying to do something for you that is better than even you know. He's the perfect father who has a plan for your life, and he spends our entire lives helping us get on the right pathway to achieve the calling that he has set in our hearts, the mission that he has set in our hearts. And so a life interrupted is a life inspired is simply this. God wants to continually interrupt your life. Now, that's challenging, right? Because we really don't want our lives to be interrupted at the end of the day. We want to kind of put God in a box and say, this is how we're going to live our lives, and we're hoping God's going to follow along with our plan. And God says, actually, no, your plan's not my plan, and my plan is better than your plan. And when you recognize that, you'll live a life that is absolutely inspiring to the world. And so... We're going to talk about two different people today that were interrupted. One chose not to allow God to interrupt their lives, and one chose to allow God to interrupt their lives. It's the difference between legacy. It's the difference between um, getting up every day and knowing you have purpose and destiny in your heart, or, or, or getting up every day wondering, what am I here on this earth for? If we understand God's great, great love and grace for us, When he interrupts our lives, we'll automatically know there's a better pathway that we can journey down. Now, here's an issue I think we're facing in the church today. It's really, really hard because I'm going to talk about something that's very unpopular in just a second. I'm going to talk about death, right? Because as I've journeyed with believers in the local church and now out even globally, one of the things I recognize is that we're all afraid to die. And that's kind of natural, right? I mean, none of us really... None of us, we really don't want to die. But yet if you think about what, what is the kingdom of God all about? There's the ultimate prize at the end of the kingdom of God. And the ultimate prize is eternity with Jesus. In other words, how do we as believers get so close to the heartbeat of God that ultimately the one thing we desire in our lives is to spend eternity with Christ? Why is this important? Because if we're okay with death, it will change the way we live our lives. And here's the tension. The American dream is a gospel nightmare. The American dream is a gospel nightmare. You cannot follow Christ and live with significance and still hang on to the American dream. It's impossible. Now, God's loving and graceful and merciful, and so God's... As a father, he's always trying to get us on the right path. So remember, the backdrop is grace and love, not condemnation. So, but the reality is this. I can't hold on to my dreams and the kingdom's dreams. Because what if they don't connect with each other? What if God says, actually, you want to go there and I want you to go here? If I'm okay with death, then I'll be okay with making any decision God wants me to make. No matter what it is. And that's ultimately the calling of every believer, is to be so close to the heart of God... That we say, God, I only want what you want. And if I'm okay with death, then no matter what decision I make in this life, it really won't matter. So if God calls some of you to go live in the world's worst place, 
it, it won't even matter. It, it, won't, it won't be, well, I have a house, and I have, I have security here, and I have safety, and I have comfort. You'd be like, no, I, I don't even care. If that's what God wants me to do, I, I'm up for that. It's not that there won't be struggles or, or, or tension or fears, but if, you, if you're okay with death, that decision becomes easier. So just like Tough Butter, why do, why do these knuckleheads intentionally pay money to go kill themselves on a Saturday morning? Why? Because they want to run the race to complete it, right? There's joy in completing it. They're, they've reached a certain goal. They've challenged themselves physically and mentally and even spiritually to complete this race. And they paid money for it. And um, that's a beautiful thing. And that's exactly where we're at with God. Is you have a prize at the end of this life. It's called eternity with Jesus. And whatever happens between, between now and then, the only thing that matters is how we will obey each and every day what God's called us to do. Let's look at two quick stories. A life interrupted is a life inspired. When you know the story, this is a story that when you forgot to plan Sunday school, this is the book you go to, right? Like, I'm going to talk about the rich young ruler. This is like starting training camp in football, and every year you do what you've done in the past. Because if you forget the basics, you'll never understand the complexities. And the basics is this. The rich young ruler is um, following the footsteps of Jesus. He, he's, he wants to be on the team. He wants to be a part of the journey. He, he, he wants to be connected to the story. But the question he had to ask himself, and the question Jesus eventually asked is this, are you willing to go all the way? And so let's read this quickly together. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. If that's confusing to you, email Matthew. I think it's Matthew at restoredcommunities.org. He will answer that theological question. I was like, I had to study that in the hotel room last night. I'm like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Um, anyhow, um, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, the rich young ruler says, all these I have kept from my youth. Right? He answers the question right. You're not supposed to read the scripture. You're supposed to follow me. I'm going to read the rest of the scripture right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all these, I have, I've been to church. I give some tithe money. I go to a small group. Those things are beautiful, amazing, purposeful. But then this is what Jesus says. And this is the question we all have to ask ourselves this morning and really every single day of our lives. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Unbelievable. The self-righteous rich young ruler thought he had it down. He thought he was in. He thought he would be accepted, but Jesus knew he was holding on to something that was going to keep him from truly going all the way. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. In other words, Jesus said, come follow me, but give up everything in the process. What idols are you holding on to this morning that will keep you from fulfilling the will of God in your life? What idols do you have that will keep you from running the race to the end and being able to stand before God Almighty and say, well done, 
good and faithful services? What idols do you have that will keep you from, from living on mission and not just a mundane Christian experience where you come to church and you're wondering, why am I doing this? God has great plans for the local church, and you are the local church. Peter, who would be amazing in the 21st century because of Twitter and Facebook, decides to jump in, right? Peter always says something crazy. I love this guy. He gets in fights with people. He cuts ears off. He and Paul go at it. I mean, he does everything Jesus tells him not to, and he spends every day with Christ. And then Peter says this, a couple of scriptures further. See, we have left our homes and followed you. And here's Jesus' response. And Jesus was kind of like saying to the rich young ruler, like, dude, you want to be in, but you're not willing to go all the way. We went all the way, and this is why we're in. We're following Jesus. We've left everything to pursue this. And this is tough, tough scripture this morning. And he said to them, this is what Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Here's what I'm trying to get to this morning. You have a loving God who has a better way for your life. You have a dominant culture called the American dream or however you want to connect that. That is not in the same spot that Jesus is in. And we get up every day, 24 hours at a time, and we have to choose what pathway we want to follow. And the question I have to ask myself every day is this. What's the one thing that I have? I know what the one thing that I have is. Keeping my daughter safe. Right? Practically, I, I want to keep them safe as I should. But what if Jesus called me to go to a place that's not safe? What, what do my kids become an idol then? Because what's more important, obeying the ultimate call of God in my life or keeping my kids safe. Because ultimately, I just steward them as a father. But Jesus is their Lord and Master and Savior. So that's just a practical example of this. Austin New Church, everyone this morning, please wrestle with the scripture. What's the one thing in your life that's holding you back from what God's called you to do? Let's go down to a second verse. Um, A life interrupted is a life inspired. I believe that. I believe this. God wants to interrupt our lives this morning. And this is a beautiful example of what an interrupted life looks like. Simple question. Jesus is sending people out in Luke 10 all over, right? Go, 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 go. Live on mission. Do these crazy things. It's amazing what's going on. And, um, and, and, and basically this lawyer is asking Jesus these questions. And here's what happens. Um, Jesus is telling people to go. And the lawyer is like, I don't want to go, actually. But I want to make sure I'm okay with you guys. So I want to try and figure this out if I'm okay. And here's what the lawyer says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Unbelievable. Simple, right? Love God, love people. It's simple, very difficult to live it out all the time. It's very difficult for me. It's probably, but, but that's kind of like what the gospel, the good news is about. But the lawyer didn't like that. Because the lawyer thinks his way is better than Jesus' way. And so the lawyer says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this. This is what Jesus tells to the lawyer, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is an important question we have to ask. Because sometimes we use scripture to completely remove ourselves from the will of God. 
right? This is exactly where the lawyer was at. He was trying to use scripture to justify his own inactions in this lifetime. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, and he tells the story of the good Samaritan. The story is so simple. We've heard it a million times, but it's amazingly powerful. Not only is the story powerful, but, but some of the practical action steps. When we think about orphans and trafficking and extreme poverty and some of these issues that we're trying to wrestle with right now, this is a good blueprint of what we could do to get involved. But he, he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. A priest, a pastor, was going down the road and saw a half-dead man on the street, beaten and bloody. He passed by on the other side. That was a devastating text in Scripture. That the local church passed by the broken. And then another religious person, a Levite, passed by. But a Samaritan, an enemy, uh, you've probably heard the story a million times, a Samaritan, Samaritans and Jews hate each other. This is like, this is like Palestine and Israel. I mean, it's like Russia and America in the 80s. These people do not like each other. They despise each other. They have every right to not like each other because they're at war. And they do bad things to each other. And so a Samaritan is walking down the road where the local church, the pastor, and the religious person was walking down. And the Samaritan, the enemy, sees the half-dead man. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion means this, to suffer with. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. There are five things we can learn here about the Good Samaritan. One, he stopped. He didn't allow culture to dictate his decision-making. He allowed the need right in front of him. He was on his way to do something. He was busy. He had things to do. He had places to go. Life was happening. But he saw a need, and he stopped. He went over to him, and he he gave immediate aid. Then he used his own materials to take care of this half-dead enemy Jewish man. He took his time. He took his materials. He took him to the inn and stayed with him overnight. And I think, and I can say this with all conviction, when we seek justice in our world, the next thing is the most powerful thing we can do to really make an impact. This gentleman tells the innkeeper that he'll pay for everything, right? And then he says this, I'm going to come back and check up on this half-dead man. Returning is the most powerful thing you can do when you seek justice. Being willing to return and fight again and again and again. Whether it's 163 million orphans, whether it's 27 million traffic victims, whether it's a billion people that don't have access to clean water. When you see a need, you stop. And you begin to figure out how can, how can my skills, my passions, my resources help the half-dead man 
or the person with no water, or the orphan with no father or home, or the traffic victim trapped and being abused every single day over and over and over again. That is our neighbor. How can we stop? And Jesus um, finished the story with this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, and Jesus would say to us today, go and do likewise. We have a lot of half-dead, beaten people in our world, both locally and globally. And they need us to do what the Good Samaritan did, to stop and to live out the kingdom of God by serving, by loving, by giving, and by helping. A life interrupted is a life inspired. This morning, Jesus wants to interrupt your life. I'm going to tell you one story and we're going to close. A year ago in November, I've been doing the extreme poverty mission stuff for a couple years. And I, I, th- I thought I saw it all. And um, we let our local leaders on the ground completely lead. We submit to them. You know, we don't go like, oh, we're going to train you in how to live out the gospel. We're like, they actually train us how to live out the gospel. They're amazing men and women of God. And so we show up to this community for our third time, and we're starting to talk partnership. And the pastor sits down, and John Leakes, and he says, I'm Chris, I have a need. I know you want to help our community. But there's another community that's in more need than my community. Instead of giving to us, will you give to them? They need help. And so this is where a life gets interrupted. I have a team of people there doing massive medical clinics. We're seeing hundreds of people a day. And Pastor John Lee says, will you go with me this week, four hours away, to meet this leader? And I'm like, sure. Okay, what are we going to do with our team? But we spend two days, we figure it out, because on every mission trip we say this. We want moments where we know God is in charge and not man. We want God moments along the way where we look back and we see, wow, this is a God moment. God is moving. God is doing things. God is in charge. God has so much planned for us. And so that morning, we drive four hours out into the middle of the bush. If you've heard about the cholera epidemic, this is the place it started. We arrive on the scene, and we see body bags lined up with dead people because they drink bad water. The solution to the crisis is is clean water with sugar and salt, and 15 minutes they're alive. They don't have access to something that simple. We meet these kids. The girl in black's mom died of cholera, and so for six months they were black to mourn the loss of a family member. These kids were drinking this water because that's all they had. As we're sitting there with these kids, one of the little children passes out, like right in front of us. One of these kids just fell. And we went up to her, and through our translators we said... um, what is going on? And the principal of the school comes up to me and says, this happens all the time. Don't worry. It's okay. I'm like, what do you mean this happens all the time? It's like the kids, they don't get to eat every day. Most of these kids we eat every other day just to keep them alive. So we look at the little girl and we say this. Through our channel, I say, sweetie, when's the last time you've had food? Did you have lunch today? She shook her head, no. Did you have breakfast? No. Did you have dinner last night? Tears start rolling in her eyes. 
she said, I don't want to come to school to learn. This is the half-dead person on the side of the street. And you and I are the good Samaritans. We enter into her story and say, sweetie, we're going to help. So I talked to the pastors. And I'm like, how much does it cost to feed a child a meal? And after they do math, this is what they told me. This is how much it costs to feed one child in this community a meal each day. I'm passionate because of this. The American church has so much potential to do good, but we're so infatuated with the idols of our culture. And we have to stop. Because it's not even about you, it's about them. The church, if the church doesn't act, it leaves people hanging who are in need. And the only people that can respond, the only people that are called to respond, the only people that will stand before a loving God and say, and give account, is us. Because they are neighbors. Um, I'm going to pray. And uh, Pastor Rand's going to come up and share. You guys have done beautiful work all over the world. Amazing, beautiful, great work. Here's what I want you to do this morning. What's the one thing that is keeping you back? We all, I have them. Trust me, I have more than one. All right? And God's loving and merciful. But I do not want to live my life year after year, decade after decade, saying I still have that one thing. I want God to remove it so I can simply obey Jesus with every moment and every second of my life because there are half-dead people that need me to be obedient to the gospel. 